you can't keep a 12 inch tarantula in a 10 gallon tank. It's just not, not feasible. It's not fair. It's not right. So people are realizing that as your tarantula grows, you, you know, you do need to rehouse it into something more appropriate. You're listening to Jeremy from Primal Fear Tarantula, which is a premium acrylic tarantula enclosure company straight out of Manitoba, Canada, which happens to be my home province. So it was an absolute pleasure to speak with Jeremy today. I kind of, when I'm pricing things, uh, there's two things I keep in mind. One, how much does it cost to have the same thing in glass? And what are our friends down south paying? You are listening to the Animals at Home podcast. My name is Dylan Perrin, and thank you so much for tuning in today. Jeremy and I discuss in this episode how he started Primal Fear Tarantulas. This is actually one of those positive COVID stories. Really, if you rewind the clock three years ago, Primal Fear Tarantulas did not exist. Jeremy found a hole in the market and decided to serve his community in the best way possible, which was create a product that isn't available. Now, for those who are American, you might not realize that things in Canada are much tougher to get. It's not quite as simple as many of you experience, and the fact that Jeremy decided to take the plunge and do an entire business to rectify a problem in our community is incredible. If you are an American tarantula keeper, then this is an episode that you're going to want to listen to because it will save you money. If you're a Canadian tarantula keeper, then this is also an episode you'll want to listen to because Jeremy is providing us with a product at a very good price for something that we've not previously had in our market, which is incredible. Because um, when they go on, they're paying you know the same price as they would there, but in Canadian dollars. So right away, there's about a 25% a discount for those guys right off the hop. We also discuss how to properly set up tarantula enclosures. One part organic topsoil, one part cocoa choir, and one part peat moss. And we close out the episode discussing the current phenomenon of jumping spiders, how they have become so popular and how to care for them. Two main species in the hobby right now are the Audex, which are the bold jumpers, and the Gallus, which are the regal jumpers. They're, they seem to be the most common. But Here is my conversation with Jeremy from Primal Fear Tarantulas. Well, Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you. Obviously, we met in person a couple months ago. You set me up with some tarantula enclosures as well. You live in Manitoba, which is, I think, only a, there's a very small community. So that that's where I wanted to start. You know, quite often I, I try to get the background on people, how they got into what they're doing. But I find it particularly interesting being a Manitoban as well, because we do have quite a small community. Most of the listeners are American. And even if you live in a small reptile community in the States, it's still huge compared to what we have here or reptile Absolutely. exotic community. So I'm, I'm yeah. curious, how did you fall into this world? Um, well, I started at a young age in the exotic pet community. I've kind of lived all over Canada. I was born on the East Coast, uh, raised on the West Coast, kind of bounced back and forth between the two. Um, kind of a city boy on the West Coast and uh, and not so much on the East Coast. And uh, ended up in Manitoba. So I've always had exotics uh, my whole life. And uh, I guess what really the catalyst for where I am right now is uh, right before COVID, I had to put my dog down. While my kids were being raised, I didn't really have a lot of exotics. Um, but, uh, but once I had to put my dog down, I wasn't really into getting another dog. So uh was doing some some research online and decided to get something that I've wanted for a long time, which was a chameleon. And that was kind of the catalyst of where I am now. So that was around the start of COVID. Um, got myself a chameleon and uh, ended up finding that there was a, a tarantula breeder importer uh, just outside of Winnipeg. 
and uh, got my first tarantula when I was about oh, 15 or 16. So we're talking 1989, 1990, somewhere in there. Um, was really intrigued, always intrigued by tarantulas. Uh, just the way they move, the way they attack prey. It was uh, back then when I was 15 or 16, it was pretty cool to have a pet that most people found repulsive. <laughs> I kind of found that uh, pretty neat, you know, a um, little bit of little bit of danger. Um, so I kept tarantulas, you know, in my high school years, uh, then moved out to the West Coast from the East Coast. Um, and uh, I was doing an my plumbing apprenticeship in Victoria, and I was doing some work on a pet store there. And uh, ended up getting paid in exotic pets. So at that time, I was about 20 years old, and I had an office full of, of exotics. I had geckos and bearded dragons and uh, I've always been into fish as well, so I had piranhas and kind of whatever, a bunch of emperor scorpions, just a whole office full of exotic pets um, and kept those, you know, I was kind of in the hobby then in, through my 20s uh, and then started having kids. So I kind of was low key on exotics while uh, while I raised my kids and then, like I say, had to put my dog down during COVID, got back into tarantulas hooked up with uh, Mel from Webs and Scales just outside of uh, Winnipeg there. And uh, and then went in full force. You know, COVID had lots of downtime. Um, so research and uh, and collecting. And that's kind of what got me back into the hobby. That's what I find fascinating because we're, we're going to get into your business and, and everything in, in a minute. And it's amazing how obviously you have this, you know, a, a deep background of keeping exotics and you, you have this, you know, passion for it, but it's amazing looking at the business that you have and what's behind you that this just started during COVID. I mean, without COVID, I'm sure none of this would have, this you wouldn't have gone down this path maybe. Probably not. Um, you know, like I say, well, I own a plumbing and heating company and uh, when COVID hit, everything just died. Nobody wanted me in their house at all. So it was uh, a new construction kind of died. Everything, I mean, like everything else, it just dropped off. Um, so I had one lots of time on my hands, uh, a reignited passion for the hobby. And, uh, and I just seen a need for, you know, for, uh, for enclosures in, in the, in the community. Yeah. Yeah. Was there something about, you know, and obviously sort of bring up a sore subject, but putting your dog down, was there something about that, that, that reminded you of the exotic side or like, what about yeah. that experience sent you back down this path? Um, I wasn't ready for another dog for one and, uh, and just kind of reflecting on, on an old passion, you know, like I say, when my kids were younger, um, one, I didn't have a whole lot of time for exotic pets. Cause you know, let's face it, you have a collection of exotics. It takes time. Um, it's a quite a commitment, right? Um, so I kind of focused on raising my kids and, you know, dogs, a good family pet and, and, and all that my kids are like i say are moving out and and moving on with life so i i don't have that time commitment anymore um and i, I guess it was just a combination of having lots of time on my hands and uh and doing some reading and and just reignited that passion mm -hmm. and so you said you, you know you contacted mel from webs and scales and that's where i picked up my first two tranches as well 
how did it go from just getting a couple to to starting the business? That's quite a. I mean, you hear the story of people collection growing, but obviously getting a a business from <laughs> scratch is another level to that. Well, um, I'm pretty OCD when it comes to uh, the look and display of my collection. Um, and to be honest, you know, when I was collecting, I started with dollar store containers that I drilled out, which work fine and they look great. You know, they 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 serve a function; they're perfect. But there was really, I searched and searched online. I searched Amazon and just did a whole bunch of searching for you know nice display cases um, to display my tarantulas, and there really was absolutely nothing in Canada. Uh, you know, there's a couple of companies in the States that make some pretty nice enclosures. I ordered a couple of those to start, but by the time we pay the exchange rate from Canadian to US, then uh, duty and shipping, it was, there's no way I'm going to house 50 tarantulas at that kind of cost. So I started exploring other ideas and I, I talked to Mel and um, even to find like Amec boxes in Canada. And I mean, I'm not in the biggest city either too. Brandon's pretty small. Manitoba is small to begin with, but Brandon is is pretty limited on what we got here. So even just to find Amec boxes was almost impossible. Um, so then I started making my own and uh, talked to Mel and, and she was interested in maybe, you know, providing her customers with, uh, with some nice enclosures. And that kind of just went from there. It's it's a very ex- a similar experience I had when you first enter the tarantula hobby because part of the tarantula hobby that's exciting is how easy it is to pick up enclosures and find things. But when you start going through the list of people saying, you know, these are the items on Amazon that you can easily convert to a tarantula enclosure. In Canada, none of those things show up on Amazon.ca. It's all .com. No. And then, like you said, you as soon as you cross the border and they nail you with taxes and you pay shipping, you are easily paying double from what the ticket price of whatever it is you're ordering. So you kind of have, like you said, you can't do that for everything. A one-off experience is fine. I bought some artwork like last year. I had to pay duty on it, but I'm not going to be doing that for 50 tarantulas, for example. So you kind of have, it has to make sense. And so how many tarantulas do you have now? Uh, Right. According to my wife, way too many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. And I only have two. (laughs) Including slings, I've probably got... uh, somewhere between 60, 60 to 70 tarantulas. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty sizable collection to manage. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, like I say, it's a quite the, quite the work to, to maintain for sure. Well, and, and even as you said, at the beginning, you started doing DIY things and creating your own, you know, there's kind of a limit to that as well, depending on how many you have, you can't, so, so were you just sourcing sheets of acrylic or what were you doing for the DIY side before you started the business? Um, like I said, I started just buying pre-made containers you know, from either Canadian Tire or or from uh, the dollar store and drilling them myself. Um, the downfall of that is sometimes they're not very functional. You know, for a terrestrial tarantula, anything that opens from the top is fine. When you start getting into the fossorial and the, and the arboreal tarantulas, there's really no pre-made container that you can do it yourself make functional enough to to house that tarantula so that's kind of really the the change over there is just having something functional for for other species other than just your common curly hair or or red knee tarantula 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to get into kind of how you started the business. But one thing I'll say too is being a fresh tarantula keeper, it the first thing I started keeping in was those uh, like the olive containers that you get from superstores. So the, the yeah. classic like 16 ounce deli cup and yeah, 16 ounce. And there's an appeal to that because it's essentially free. I always eat olives anyway. So, you know, you clean them out and then you have these enclosures. <laughs> but as a new keeper, there were so many things that I hated about them. And I know there's lots of tarantula keepers that would say, why would you spend money on an enclosure when you can just go and get these things for free? But as a new person, uh, A, it's hard to see the the animal yeah. through the, because it's a cloudy plastic. And B, like, I was still afraid of them. You know, I'm still tentative and scared of them. And I don't want to be, you know, walking my hands around this lid slowly, like scaring the spider because you're, it, it, the lids don't come off very easy. So yeah, between those two things, you get it open, it's already on edge. Exactly. It's on edge. You're on edge because you've been trying to like get this thing open. It, it clicks itself back in by the time you get all the way around the circle. And it's just <laughs> such a pain. And I, I hated it. And I thought, you know, maybe at some point when, uh, you know, if you have a whole bunch and it makes sense, but to, to, to start, I was just so much happier to have the enclosures that you had sent me. So tell me about like, so, so you decided that you found the, the hole the, in, in Canada, there was no place really producing these types of enclosures. What, what's next? Where do you go from there? Um, so I guess the first thing I did was uh, kind of took a look at everything on the market all over anything I could find. I kind of took a, took a look at and see what's available um, sized up the enclosures I purchased from the States, uh, kind of seen what I liked about them and what I didn't like about them. And then I started really basic. I had a three by three by six box essentially with a top sliding lid. And, uh, I had a couple of those made. I went on Facebook, uh, onto the various, uh, tarantula and invertebrate groups I'm in and kind of just got some feedback from other the Canadian groups, got some feedback from my fellow Canadians and uh, kind of went from there, seeing what their input was, kind of gauged interest. And I found that uh, there were lots of Canadians in the same position as me, um, searching for a, a, a decently priced quality enclosure to showcase their, uh, their tarantulas. So um, kind of took the feedback and uh and i just thought about that for a while i just kind of left it at that and then started drawing up some designs i talked to a couple friends here who uh who actually have sign businesses and they were at the time doing uh acrylic and plexiglass enclosures for covid so they were already they already had their cnc machines working on uh, glass on plexiglass barriers and acrylic barriers and you know, all those sneeze shields you see at the restaurants and stuff. So they were already working with acrylics and uh, talked to a couple of those guys about getting some uh, some acrylics cut and uh, and and started playing with designs. And did you just start assembling it yourself and, and just, you know, doing your best? I started to... like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, acrylics, not the easiest to work with. And then, you know, after I got my prototypes kind of made up and 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 figured out designs I liked, I started, uh, there was no, the amount of time it takes to cleanly build an acrylic enclosure is insane. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one slip with, with, uh, with glue and, and it's a mess. So then I started seeking out uh, bio. And again, I wanted to keep costs down for Canadians. That was the, the whole key purpose in doing this was to, to make them affordable and realistic, you know, uh, so then I started seeking out production 
and uh, ended up talking to my wife and I've had various businesses over the years. So I already had some kind of connections overseas and, and, uh, and I started talking to uh, a factory uh, overseas and nailed down a design team after many, many months of, uh, of talking with people and, and having prototypes sent to me and, and, and working through that, I nailed down a design team in a factory overseas that I now utilize full time. There's no way I could keep up with the demand. Wow. So it, w- was it difficult to establish that relationship as far as, you know, this is what we want or are they pretty much turnkey? Absolutely difficult. Um, <laughs> I've probably, you know, like realistically, I've been at this now. Well, my first first expo with one or two enclosures uh, was the fall expo in Winnipeg last year. So not quite a year I've been, uh, I've had primal fear tarantulas. Wow. And in the first six months, I got prototypes from probably five factories. Um, and it's, that's not even a, a fast process. Like, you know, by the time you get it made and then shipped over, it's, uh, it's sometimes a month, month and a half to get. So, you know, cost and quality, they're the two main things that I was concerned with. And it did take a lot of time uh, and a lot of conversations, sometimes not so easy conversations <laughs> to uh, to nail down the perfect combination. But I think the guys I'm working with now, they're they're pretty, pretty darn good. We've got a pretty good product out there right now. So how does the production work now? If somebody orders, like, do you, do you keep stock where you are or, or are things? Do, yeah. Oh, you do. Okay. And, you know... I've only been going a year, so it, it is a growing business. So there are times when I'm out of stock of something or, or you know, low stock here, especially in expo season, because I'm trying to balance my online sales and my uh, in-person sales at expos and stuff. So it is a bit of a struggle, you know, uh, financially to try and keep a huge inventory. But, uh, ev- you know, everything's just going back into the business right now. So it is getting better. Mm-hmm. And you did quite a circuit of, of uh, expos this year so far i think you've done what three or four yeah yeah so far uh, um i do the cal i try and do the calgary expo in the in the spring and the fall um this spring was my second calgary expo it's always a good time there lots lots of good people in the community it's a, mm-hmm. a decent market um i tried an expo in saskatoon this year which was okay uh it's a lot like manitoba it, and it was post-COVID too, so I guess it was their first expo in a while. So they were still ironing out some kinks and stuff. Uh, and then I always hit the Winnipeg Expo. It's mm-hmm. that's you know that's my home base, so I like to to support that community as good as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of rebuilding happening in the prairies as far as after COVID. So these things will uh, will build back up, and the communities are already kind of small. Is are, are you? Do you have plans to go to Toronto in the fall? Or I think I am. Did. I'm super excited. Uh, you know, I've I've got a really good uh, customer base on the west coast. Um, you know, due to the Calgary Expo, lots of people come from BC. It's a pretty big expo for the west. Um, but I'm super excited to hit the uh, Canadian Reptile Breeders Expo in uh, in Toronto here next month. I, I can't wait for that. Yeah, that'll be a good time. I'll be there as well, so I'll come visit yeah. the booth. Awesome. And, and I, I must have just popped into the tarantula hobby at the perfect time because I, by the time I started getting interested in tarantula, tarantulas, you already existed and your website was there and, and everything. So I just assumed that you had been around for a while. I'm like, oh, this is like, what are the chances? There's somebody in Manitoba, but it turns out that <laughs> you just created it not that long ago so it's, it's pretty amazing how you've gone from 
getting back in to being essentially one of the only tarantula enclosure providers in Canada in a matter of just a couple of years? Well, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about Canada is the support network. You know, I mean, um, especially when I know myself, when somebody fulfills a need in the Canadian market, you're like, yes, finally. Yes. Because uh, we are a bit of underdogs when it comes to specialized uh, goods. You know, you're always looking outside Canada, um, you know, especially down to the States. I mean, the market there is so huge. It's, it's easy for a business to start and take off and do really well. Uh, in Canada, not so much. We're a, a spread out country. So, I mean, before social media, this would have been impossible because you'd yeah. never be able to, to advertise yourself to a big enough community to support the business. It just wouldn't happen. You'd have um, to spend so, thousands and thousands of dollars just in the hope you hit absolutely. one tarantula guy. Yeah. I mean, you'd be taking ads out in magazines all over the country just to just to get your name out there. Um, but I mean, with Facebook and Instagram, it's it's unbelievable. And then word of mouth, you know, um, I'm very active in the hobby. I'm active in in the uh, in the groups on social media. Um, you know, I'm always happy to share my knowledge or or to to take in knowledge. It's very interactive. So, um, you know, word of mouth spreads fast, and uh, and I always take the feedback into consideration and and, and just try and be there for the community. You know, before a business, I was a hobbyist and I'll always be a hobbyist. I, I have a huge passion for tarantulas in particular, but exotics in general. And, uh, and when you're passionate about something, you like to share it, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so for those who are listening, who may be not familiar with your product line, do you want to just walk through just a couple of the products or a few of the, the, uh, the items that you have and how, what the enclosures look like just to build people a little bit of a picture? Sure. Um, so, like I say, the first thing I started with was just a three by three by six box, um, and basically now that's my kind of fossorial sling enclosure. Um, from there, I did uh, the eight inch cube, you know, and and all this uh, originated with other people's feedback. So, um, the the first thing people asked for was a bigger enclosure. So then I went eight by eight by eight cube. And I took that eight by eight by eight cube and the three by three by six enclosure to that first uh, expo in Winnipeg there set up on a little corner. Mel from webs and scales was nice enough to give me a little corner of her tail. And I set up those two enclosures and kind of just showed them off and got people's feedback. Mm -hmm. um, and right away, people wanted something for arboreals, which, uh, you know, Myself, personally, I like arboreals. They're a little bit more of a showcase. It, as soon as you get into terrestrials and, and fossorials, you're uh, you're looking at a burrow, right? right? So arboreals were, are a little bit more entertaining to look at, a little better to show off. So um, actually, the first enclosure I picked up from the States was an arboreal enclosure. So I kind of looked at that. Um, it had a front opening door, which was great, easy access. Um, but I thought I could improve on that a little bit. And I, I made it with a top and a front opening door. So to this day, that's probably one of my biggest sellers is the uh, three by three by six arboreal enclosure with the front and top opening. You might not always use that top opening, but uh, when you do need it, like during a rehouse or even just setting up the enclosure, it makes it super handy. Um, yeah. So I made that one. Then, uh, then basically worked on sizes. Everybody wanted bigger, bigger, you know, going from a sling into a juvenile into an adult. So 
Um, it's been a slow process. Like I say, it's I'm not a rich man, so to, to build up a, a line of enclosures takes some time. But now we've got uh, that same enclosure in a six by six by eight, um, an eight by eight by twelve. So basically, for most stages of a tarantula, um, I've got the uh, the eight inch cube enclosure. We've got uh, now a twelve inch cube, then a twelve by eight by eight enclosure uh, for for terrestrial, and then um, the newest one I made was uh, kind of a novelty enclosure in the shape of a casket. Mm-hmm. Um, I made at at one of the expos. I also do some three D printing for. Uh, for decor and I do some backgrounds for the enclosures and that's been really popular, but people uh, really like these casket water dishes that I was making okay, yeah, and yeah. they just flew off the shelf and I thought, okay, maybe there's something there. So I made these little uh, sling enclosures in the shape of a casket. They can be used for terrestrial or fossorial and, uh, and they've been a big hit. So that was kind of my latest design. And uh, there's a couple others I'm working on right now, but we'll, we'll see what comes down the pike here. So it, does it seem like the tarantula community in general is gravitating towards keeping their adults in larger enclosures than would have been the norm maybe a decade ago? Because that, that's sort of, I don't know if that's what's happening or just, you know, you got lots of requests for people going bigger. Um, I think there's more education. You know, back when I started, there was no internet. You had encyclopedias and the guy at the pet store. Right. Uh, for example, when I got my first tarantula, I was told 10 gallon tank for life some sand and a water dish with a sponge and you're good to go. But uh, there's, there's a lot more uh, education now and people realize, you know, you can't keep a a 12 inch tarantula in a 10 gallon tank. It's just not, not feasible. It's not fair. It's not right. So people are realizing that as your tarantula grows, you you know, you do need to rehouse it into something more appropriate and you don't want to start it in something too big because you're never going to find it. It's never going to find its food. So there is a general process uh, of progression in enclosure. So, um, you know, as the, ho- as the hobby grows, you're getting more people into slings. There's more demand for, for bigger enclosures. So I think that's where the need for the bigger enclosures came was just people growing in the hobby Mm-hmm. And uh, and understanding that you do need to have an appropriate size enclosure as the tarantula grows. Yeah, that, that's always the question that people say. It's like, why are they kept in such small enclosures? But until you've kept a small spider, it's so true. I mean, you, you can't tell if it's eating and you don't want to lose it. So you need to have some no. eyes on it. But once it gets to a mature size, yeah, I, I think, you know, I don't know how large you could go. But do you foresee going even larger with the like the product line that you currently have? Or is it kind of maxed it's out really, with the design? It's kind of tough um again keeping things affordable right acrylic no matter how good your acrylic is it has a tendency with moisture and heat to warp a little bit so as you get you know i've got a couple of enclosures here behind me these i've got crested geckos in there they're uh, um you know 18 inch enclosures the problem is 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 no matter how careful you are, it, it tends to have stiff doors and it, you know, it just doesn't fit right. So there is, and then there's shipping as well. You know, like the, the, even the 12 by 12 enclosures, every time I send one off, I'm nervous that I'm going to get a call. It's broken when it gets here, no matter how well you pack it. So there is a bit of a limit on size, um, for, for shipping. Um, and at some point quality does start going down. And, uh, and that's just not something I'm willing to do. So I try and keep, I think 12 by 12 is probably going to be my standard 
large enclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can source out some reasonable acrylics that are a little less prone to warping, um, maybe the 18-inch arboreal at one time will become a, a standard. But again, it's it's just a matter of of demand. Um, I mean, I can I can have anything made uh, custom. It's just a matter of uh, of keeping cost and uh, and quality in line. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to the original sort of goal with the with the business is not to create enclosures that are out of the price range. And that's what's great about them. No. They they look great and they're they're sharp and they're not expensive, especially coming from the reptile world. You you know, an enclosure is quite expensive. And then when you can get into spiders, you're like, oh, I can buy a closure for forty dollars or fifty dollars or whatever it is. It's kind of nice. It's like a you're sort of at ease. I'm like, okay, that's not that's not too bad. Well, there's two standards. I kind of, when I'm pricing things, uh, there's two things I keep in mind. One, how much does it cost to have the same thing in glass, and what are our friends down south paying? Right. So I try and keep my pricing in line with everybody else down south, um, but in Canadian dollars. So you know, you you're you're basically getting the same enclosure or or something of same quality. Um, and it's fair because you're paying the same as our, our friends down south, but you're paying in your own in your own currency. So there's quite the savings there. So that's kind of where I keep my pricing is so that I'm kind of market value, but in our own dollar. Right. And uh, that's kind of been my my process in pricing things out. And also, you know, I think as the business grows, obviously my my production runs can be bigger, and I feel like I could probably get pricing down a little bit more. Um, once I get to the point where I can start ordering, you know, large mass quantities of enclosures. Right. Well, as you were saying that, I'm sure every American tarantula keeper's ears pricked up because uh, to get a get to to match a price in Canadian dollars with U.S. dollars is quite, is quite a significant reduction in, in in cost. Do you do you ship? Do you have American customers as well? Absolutely. It's. Uh, it's I'm just starting, you know, like through Instagram and stuff, I'm just starting to catch on. I've got my website, but I also started an Etsy store, which uh, that's probably 90% American customers. Okay. Um, it was really funny when I started on Etsy, I had lots of Canadian customers, but then uh, in order to get advertised in the States, you have to have free shipping. So I upped the price a little bit um, to counter, counter uh, some of that shipping cost. And right away, Canadian customers fell and American customers went way up. Um, Canadians seem to like a cheaper price with shipping and Americans seem to like a more hefty price and no shipping. Right. So it was kind of a weird change. So um, through Etsy, I've had lots of American sales in the last six months or so. But uh, actually, in the last couple of weeks here, I just partnered with uh, a guy out of California who's going to be an affiliate. He's starting to to carry my line. I just sent him off a big box of enclosures and he's actually uh, doing the reptile super show in Pomona here in California in a couple of weeks. Cool. Um, so he's going to have a, his, his booth set up. Uh, his name's, he's got a quite a big Instagram and, uh, and TikTok following is Frank's Buggin six, six, one super nice guy. And uh, he's super excited about having my enclosures and I'm super excited about him carrying them. So the, the American market is, is starting to catch on, which is great. Um, again, I'm I'm more focused on my Canadian market, um, but it doesn't hurt to have those sales in America. And like you say, uh, it's a bit of an unfair advantage because 
exactly what was a detriment to us is a huge bonus for our American friends. Um, Cause when they go on, they're paying, you know, the same price as they would there, but in Canadian dollars. So right away, there's about a 25% uh, discount for those guys right off the hop. I just want to take a short break from today's episode to thank each and every one of you for tuning in today. If you would like to show more support for the podcast, you can do that by checking out the show's sponsor, Custom Reptile Habitats. There is an affiliate link in both the YouTube description and the show notes. If you do make a purchase through that link, a commission comes back to me at no extra cost to you. The other way you can show support to the podcast is through the Patreon account. For as little as 75 cents per episode, you will automatically be added to the Discord server so you can communicate and chat with other like-minded keepers. If you do bump yourself up to the $5 a month tier, you'll have early access to the episodes and the opportunity to submit questions to upcoming guests. Again, I am so grateful for each and every one of you. This podcast is a lot of work and costs me a lot of money each month to run, and any support coming from your end is greatly appreciated. Back to the episode. Yeah, and I feel like they don't have to pay as much in shipping and duty. I don't know how duty works. Do they pay duty? Or if they do, it's not. I, it's nothing like we pay. No, and shipping, for me to ship to the States is probably about two-thirds the cost. I can ship an enclosure to Florida uh, for about $10, and me to ship that enclosure to, say, New Brunswick is almost 18 So it, it, it the cost so is... It is, but I mean, it, it's relative to the population, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, if yeah. you got Canada Post delivering five parcels, they got to charge more than uh, the U.S. Post shipping three hundred parcels, right? So, it's frustrating. Um, but like I say, you know, I try and offset that as much as I can uh, for for the Canadian hobbyists, just to to make it a little more fair. Yeah, I mean, I know when I order my frozen feeders for my snakes, the cost of shipping exceeds the cost of the, the rodents and because Absolutely. it's frozen and it's so I, I forget, I'll order like, you know, enough rats and quail for almost a year and yeah, shipping will cost me well over a hundred dollars. It's just the way it is. But yeah. getting into that American market will only help the, uh, us Canadians because, you know, your business will grow and it allow us to, to have more Absolutely. options. And, and, uh, and I think your business growing is, is a good thing. So for those Americans out there who are interested in, in some, some, a discount enclosure. You got to check out Primal <laughs> Fear. That's cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about setting up tarantula enclosures I, because I, I think that's sure. another, you know, that that's, you, you have a business creating enclosures. The next step is actually setting up the enclosure. So maybe you you'd mentioned that arboreal species are, are some of your favorites. Do you want to just run through how you would set up? Let's take your largest arboreal setup. Um, we can just pick a random species and then how, how would you set that enclosure up? Well, the first thing you want to pick is your substrate. Um, you know, there's lots of companies out there that make tarantula or, or invertebrate specific substrates. Um, there's, there's a ton of options, do it yourself options. I personally use a, a, a mix that I do myself. Um, one part organic topsoil, one part cocoa choir and one part peat moss. And, uh, that's kind of my standard substrate. I use that for a lot of my exotics, whether it's geckos or, or tarantulas or scorpions or whatever it, uh, it holds moisture. Well, it aerates well. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's just a good, good substrate. So that's the first thing is, is do you do anything substrate. to, to the peat moss or the topsoil beforehand is like, do you put it in the oven or anything to kill anything in there? Or you have never had any issues? Cause I remember I, using peat moss once and now all of a sudden I had all these little garden centipedes in my day gecko enclosure. I'm like, did that come from the peat moss? It might've come from the plants. <laughs> I don't know, but have you ever I had any issues? 
No, I've been pretty fortunate. Like I, I use the same, I can't remember. It's a Canadian peat moss, a Canadian company. I can't remember exactly what it is, but uh, it's been really well. And, and I've never had an issue with any kind of, uh, any kind of, no, not at all. So I don't know if I've been lucky or, or just no, I, for good... me, it was probably the plants. I probably had Home Depot plants or something and they always come with some extra. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, no, I've been really lucky and uh, I've been using that now for a couple of years, that same mix, just stick to the same brands. Um, when it comes to the topsoil, you just want to make sure there's nothing uh, nothing added to it, no um, plant food or, or anything like that, fertilizers. Basically, the, the cheapest topsoil you can get um, is the best because it's, it's unrefined, it's just straight sterilized topsoil mm-hmm. um so the cheaper the bag probably the better it is for for our needs um so that's kind of the substrate i use is, is a mix of those three things i have used coco choir by itself in the past but i find once it dries out it's not the best for burrowing mm-hmm. it tends to uh, cave in because it does get so dry so having that peat moss in there and some topsoil it gives it a little bit more of a compaction uh, a little better for burrowing so that's kind of what i use for my substrate and then uh, then it's just a matter of decor um, and really anything can be used as decor depends on you that's where your personality shines and that's part of the part of the fun of setting up an enclosure um, whether you know there's there's kind of two camps when it comes to decor one is the naturalistic environment which is kind of where i tend to stick to and then you got uh, what I call like the dollhouse community who, uh, who like to have, you know, the little dressers and couches and yeah. and such, which is cute, just not my style. Um, I, I like to stick more to the naturalistic and uh, botanical side of things. So, uh, but I mean, no matter what you want, you use, you want to make sure that it's going to be safe for the tarantula. So any organics, you know, you either bake it in the oven or, or you can steam it or, um, in Manitoba, stick it outside in minus 45 for, for a couple of days. Yeah. And January uh, always does the trick. That'll probably kill off most things. Um, so then, yeah, just decor with the arboreals, you want to have lots of anchor points because they're going to web up more than, uh, than the, uh, terrestrial tarantulas. So, um, keep that in mind when you're setting up arboreals, you know, have some, some sticks up high and, and, you know, you can hot glue things to the to the sides of the enclosures or lots of people are using magnets um, just to give it those anchor points. Um, with terrestrials, I always set up some kind of a, a starter burrow, whether uh, it's a 3D printed cave or, or a piece of cork bark or just something where uh, nine times out of ten you put a terrestrial in a new enclosure and it'll bolt straight for that burrow. Um, so give them somewhere to go and feel safe right away. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the main parts of uh, of setting up an enclosure. And then, you know, obviously you just want to make sure you have the appropriate size enclosure. Right. Is there, would an inappropriate sized enclosure be some of the sort of the top common mistakes you see from, from new keepers or is there a couple things in that category? Yeah. Um, you know, the first mistake that I see is impulse buying. Mm-hmm. And I got to say it right off the hop. that That's the number one is people buying either a species that they're not ready to handle or have no idea what it's about. You know, um, you see that guy, you, you know, the 
crazy thing about tarantulas is some of the most beautiful are some of the most dangerous. Yes. Uh, so you, you see somebody who sees a P metallica, bright blue tarantula, and it's beautiful and it's an arboreal and it's always out. They're bolty and they got quite a bite. So it's, it might not be the best beginner tarantula. Always, no matter what exotic you're getting, you know, I always recommend do the research. There's no excuse not to. The internet is absolutely abundant with information. There's social media. There's plenty of great YouTube channels uh, that focus on uh, tarantula husbandry and, and information on tarantulas. So utilize it, you know, make sure you know what you're getting into, find a great beginner species and, and have something set up for it before you purchase your tarantula. So that to me, that's the number one mistake right there. Um, the other mistake I common mistake I see is, uh, and it's, it's not, you know, you can't blame people, but it's the excitement. It's uh, let your tarantula settle in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a you put it in a new enclosure. It's a new environment. You know, one of the best things about a tarantula is watching it eat. So people, you know, stick this tarantula in a new enclosure and they throw a cricket in there and they're expecting the thing just to pounce on it right away. But tarantulas, just like any other exotic, they need some time to settle in. They're kind of a skittish uh, pet to begin with and a little bit nervous. So you want to make sure you give them some time to settle in. Um, and yes, enclosure size is definitely another one. Like I said, when I started, it was quite common to keep any tarantula in a 10 gallon tank. And that was it. You know, I look back, I feel so bad knowing what I know now, um, (laughs) on, and how I kept that first tarantula. Um, you know, I guess a good rule of thumb is kind of the general rule of thumb of a hobby is about three times its leg span. So if you've got, uh, you know, a two inch arboreal tarantula, then keep it in something six, eight inches um, tall. So it's got some room to move around, a little bit of room to to see what's going on and find its prey and just some freedom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that comes hand in hand with knowing, knowing your tarantula too, your research. You don't want to, you know, a pink foot Goliath is great at a quarter inch sling, um, but realize that at some point that's going to be a 12 inch leg span, which is going to require more than a, than an eight inch cube enclosure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just hearing you talk about it, it's just giving me flashbacks of just getting into the hobby. Obviously I've only been keeping these guys for maybe a couple of months and uh, getting back to just the enclosure design, something that I really appreciated was just how the ease of access, especially with the the eight inch cube, you know, just slide the door back the top and I can get in there with tweezers and tongs and whatnot and change waters. It's very easy. And like you said, you, you when you jump into the hobby as a new person, you're super excited, but you're also kind of tentative and a little bit scared. And it's nice to have space to work with, you know, like to, to be able to feed them without having to like squeeze things in and, and not be able to see. It's just that, that's what I love about the enclosures. It's just easy to work with them, especially as a newbie. Well, that's kind of the reason why I chose to go with the sliding top as well. Uh, you know, a lot of the enclosures in the hobby, the top just lifts right off. Yeah. Which is great if you're an experienced keeper and you're comfortable with your tarantula. But when you're a new keeper, uh, sometimes it might be nice just to crack that lid a little bit and and still be able to feed and water your tarantula. Like I always recommend a beginner to keep their water dish towards the back of the enclosure. So you can, you know, open that enclosure a quarter inch and and water your dish and, and tend to your tarantula without having to have the whole enclosure exposed. And uh, and a chance I've had it where you know you have the top off and tarantula decides to bolt and now you're chasing down a, 
chasing down a tarantula with a catch cup. So it makes it a little more uh, secure and it makes the a, a new owner feel a little better about uh, tending to their tarantula. Yeah, exactly. That was my that that exact thought was I don't have to open up the door the entire way and and for you know my wife for example who's still getting used to these things it's it's nice to be able to show her, look it clips shut there's magnets that hold it it can't open the door you know there's yeah. all these uh, safety precautions. Um, do you have a favorite species that you work with? Um, I I think my favorite is and probably because it was my first tarantula is the curly hair. You know, I mean they're they're beautiful docile tarantulas. Um, maybe not as exciting or colorful as some other ones, but, uh, for me, it, it, I guess it's a bit of nostalgia. Um, and then, uh, I'm, I'm pretty fond of the Balfouris, the M Balfouris. Uh, I've got a communal of seven and just watching them interact with each other and feeding together has been, uh, absolute pleasure. It's, it's so cool to watch a community of tarantulas working together. So right now they're probably pretty close to the top of the list. What do you keep them in? the the communal they are in uh so i started them off in an eight inch cube and you don't want something too big especially starting off because then they'll develop their own kind of territories um you want them kind of on top of each other so uh, now they're actually in this this enclosure here which is a, like a 12 by 12 by i think 12 by 12 by 18 okay. 18 inches long and uh, they've been in there, actually on my YouTube channel, there's a, a rehouse video where I set this enclosure up. And they've been in there probably about five or six months now. And uh, since I put them in there, they've just blown up. I've got Belfouris who are single in an in enclosure. And for some reason, when they're communal, they seem to grow twice as fast. Um, I don't know what it is, or I don't know the science behind it, but boy, they're just blooming. and. And they're doing really well in there. It's pretty cool to see how they uh, they web up an enclosure and they create little tunnels and and uh, it, it's pretty fun to watch those guys. Yeah, well, that size thing is really fascinating. Who the hell knows what that would be? But that's that's pretty interesting and and that's what I think is amazing about keeping tarantulas. And I said this when I recorded that podcast with Tom Moran is that a lot of the time they manipulate their environment in such an aggressive way, something so much more than a reptile would. You know, reptiles will use the environment, and if you give them the appropriate environment, they'll use it, whether it's climbing trees or or they will even burrow to an extent. But nothing like a tarantula will completely readjust the entire place to, to suit them. It just, it's just such a cool thing to see. They are absolute full-on redesigned masters. Uh, yeah. There's nothing cooler than sitting there and watching a tarantula move dirt for an hour. You know, uh, some people might find it boring. I find it fascinating yeah. uh, just to watch them excavate and move. And, you know, it's, it's no matter how you set it up, they're going to rearrange it the way they want. Yeah. I've got enclosures that I set up six, eight months ago, and it looks nothing like the enclosure that I set up. Uh, you know, you can decorate it with whatever you want, but chances are it's going to change over time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just thinking of you having to rehouse those, the M Balfour again, sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> like, how do you go about I doing was, something like that? I was nervous for sure, um, but it actually wasn't that bad, you know. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I, I made the videos, just show people, yeah, it, it can be. Ner I was nervous. I look nervous on camera, but it, uh, it went fairly smooth. Um, you just take your time. You know, it's a time thing. Take your time and uh, kind of think about every move before you make it. Um, have a bunch of catch cups around just in case somebody bolts. 
but uh, it actually wasn't that bad. It went fairly smooth. Um, there may be a time when I have to rehouse them again. Now they're a little bigger and a little more aggressive. Might be a, I'll be nervous again. I'm not going to lie, but yeah. uh, I'll get through it and it won't be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And getting back to the, you know, people jumping into the hobby too fast. I, I think in some ways the, the tarantula hobby does it to themselves as well because of how easy and accessible so many things are. I mean, like the example of freebies is, is such a crazy yeah. concept, which is awesome. I mean, I, I totally understand why there is freebies. People have a crazy amount of babies and they got to move them on, right? You don't want to like flush them or anything. But it, it as a new person, you start, you start like adding stuff to your cart. Like I had the crazy cart, like, <laughs> you know, full with a bunch of different things <laughs> before I even had my first one. I'm like, okay, let's slow down and let's take a bunch yeah. of these out and let's start with two. But it, it's so easy to just pick, 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 pick. Even more well, than especially because the cost, you know, you, you pick up an exotic reptile, you could be looking at hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Uh, to pick up an exotic tarantula at a quarter inch, you're, you know, you might be 30, 40 bucks. Uh, so when it comes to exotic pets or, or even, you know, you can pick up a, a small curly hair, quarter inch curly hair for 10 bucks. Yeah. And, you know, there's several, several tarantulas in the hobby that are like that. Um, so I see time and time again, new people come into the hobby and I mean, yeah, I've collected a lot of tarantulas in the last two years, but I've also been collecting for 30 plus years. Um, you know, you get somebody who sees a tarantula and it's like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then a month later, they've got 30 tarantulas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, at a quarter inch, they're a lot of work, but they're a lot more work when they're at two, three, four, ten inches. Um, so, you know, it's slow like a turtle. You know, you, they're always going to be out there. You don't have to buy... 30 tarantulas on your in your first month i know it and it's tough it's all exotics you know it's it's kind of addictive you know it can be an addiction uh, just uh, collecting any yeah. collection whether it's toys or or whatever um it it you know you, you see you want they're cool oh yeah it's cheap i buy but uh, you gotta you gotta realize that at some point you know these tarantulas are going to grow up they've got constant needs and it's a lot of work you know you see lots of people who are in the hobby for six months and all of a sudden they're selling a collection of 30 40 tarantulas right yeah um, so it's definitely like any exotic and i think you've touched on it in other podcasts in the, in the past it's you got to know know your limit and, and there's no rush right get comfortable with what you got and then you can always add to that collection later yeah yeah absolutely now speaking of things that you want are there any species that you don't have right now that you have your eye on at some point in the future that you think would be a fascinating thing to add or are you pretty content with um, what you have i'm pretty content right now uh you know we just i had a like i say my son just grew up and moved out so we just sold our house and kind of downsized a little bit um i and it's not my only my only business so again i gotta know my limit you know I, I gotta I don't want to have more than I can take care of. Um, right now, you know, a couple of evenings a week are solely dedicated to take care of the exotic pets I got. and uh, and I'm pretty content right now. i I recently had a T Saldonia, a Brazilian jewel that passed away. I would love to replace that at one point in time here when it when the time's right. But other than that, uh, I'm pretty content with with what I got right now. Mm, that's good. And one of the things that I would definitely want to talk to you about, you know, when I met when I met you in person in, in Winnipeg at the expo, you were telling me that you had jumping spiders for sale that were just sort of flying off the shelves. And I feel like they are 
people's gateway into tarantulas. And I, I, I want to say they're relatively new as, as far as, I mean, I shouldn't say new, but I, I just, it seems to me in the last two years, the popularity of jumping spiders has exploded. Maybe it's just because I've just jumped into the arachnid world, but what, what's your view on that? Absolutely. You know, uh, that's one of the things that's helped me grow so much. I'd say probably 60%, maybe 70% of the arboreal sling enclosures I sell are for jumping spiders. Uh, it, wow. I've, I haven't seen anything in the hobby grow that fast in a long time. Um, due in part to, to social media. I mean, they're TikTok superstars right now. Everybody who's got a and they're pretty damn cute, you know, and as far as spiders go, they've got a, a decent personality. They, they almost seem to interact with people. Um, you know, couple kids shows a couple commercials on tv has kind of endeared them to people so that i've i haven't seen a hobby uh, an animal in the hobby grow and, and spread that fast in a long time and, and do you breed them i think you sell them but do you breed them or do you just acquire them no, and resell right them? now i i source them from a cub there's a couple of really good breeders across canada that i source them from um i've wanted you know last year at the at the expos i don't ship a lot of spiders I, I prefer just to sell them in person um and i like to sell them set up in enclosures so people have them set up properly and they're they're i know they're good uh, everybody gets sent home with a care sheet but uh um so no i don't breed them i source them out from from other canadians um i was going to breed them last year but i ended up selling selling all my jumping spiders uh I had a couple for show at the last Winnipeg uh, fall show last year. I had a half a dozen jumping spiders that I was just kind of showing off my enclosures and uh, I got hounded enough to sell them, which I totally <laughs> regretted because uh, my plan was to breed them over the, over the uh, winter. Um, now I do have a, a, a personal collection that I will hold on to and I'll, I'll try my hand at breeding this year. What are the, there's more than one species of jumping spider. Absolutely. So the two main uh, species in the hobby right now are the Audex, which are the bold jumpers, and the Gallus, which are the regal jumpers. They're, they seem to be the most common, but I mean, there's over 5,000 types of, of jumping spider species, I believe, somewhere in, in the number five to 6,000. So there's tons oh out God. there. Um, in Canada, we don't have, you know, those kind of numbers. And to be honest with you, I'm not super familiar with, with what else is out there. I know there's uh, like a mustache jumper and there's white jumpers. Uh, I think down south, there tends to be a lot more uh, local species than we have here. Mm -hmm. But uh, the popularity in, in Canada, at least, is is the regals and the bold jumpers for sure. And they actually get, because when I picture a jumping spider, I picture something really small. Although I, I notice that the ones in the hobby are are, are fairly big, you know, like, cause when, like, I guess there's wild jumping spiders here or you know, probably some yeah. sort of species. I'll see those and they're really small. I don't even know. Would they be a quarter inch across at the, at the max? So that's kind of what I thought jumping spiders maxed out at, but the actual one, like the, the regal jumper seems to be like, are, are they an inch across or even bigger? Uh, I don't think they're quite an inch, about, you know, half inch, maybe, okay. maybe pushing three quarters, about the size of a thumbnail. You know, if you look at your thumbnails, about the, that's kind of what I use as a standard gauge of when people ask what the size gets. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're not tiny by any means. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's part of why they're such big TikTok stars is because 
they uh, they're cute and they're they're big enough that you can actually get some really good footage of as an amateur with a with an iPhone or, or you know just a, a you don't need the biggest macro camera to get good footage of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then as as far as care, is it pretty standard as far as similar to the tarantulas, or is there quite a difference? Um, no, it's it's pretty close. You know, you want to make sure you've got uh, a well ventilated enclosure. Um, and again, there's two camps. There's the the natural camp and the dollhouse camp. Some and you know, um, I'd say a lot more females collect jumping spiders than males. Um, and and you know, the cute enclosures tend to go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's a right or wrong. I don't really think so. I've seen lots of successful uh, keepers with uh, no substrate at all. Maybe a, you know some. Uh, astroturf for a substrate or, or or just plain bottom and uh, some dollhouse furniture or or whatever you know your preference is uh, i've seen toy cars i've seen action figures whatever your preference is i don't really think there's a huge difference um, the only thing i would say is if you've got some substrate it tends to be a little easier to maintain humidity so if there is an advantage to keep things in a more naturalistic environment, I'd say that's probably the biggest one. Um, you know, whether a spider knows it's it's in a natural environment or not, I, I really couldn't tell you. But to me, that's the biggest advantage. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting to see the different way people set them up. That's for sure. Yeah, we definitely see that same sort of thing on the reptile side as well. You get a little bit of everything, you know, and I always say is if there's things in the enclosure that the animal can use, then that's that's good. If it's a, you know, absolutely a, unusable couch, then <laughs> maybe it's not the best, but for the most part is, you know, enrichment is enrichment and you can Well, can there's there's two things. There's stuff that benefit the spider and then there's stuff that benefits us, right? Yeah. And you want a balance of both. Uh, you know, you want it to you want it to be enjoyable to look at and entertaining. But at the same time, you don't want to sacrifice the the needs of the of the spider for sure. So yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely I don't know they I haven't really seen jumping spiders are fairly new to me too, mm-hmm. so I haven't seen enough to to really know what the best route is. But as I can tell right now, it, there probably isn't a whole lot of difference other than humidity and and stuff like that. Right, and you know something that you had just mentioned too with uh, women maybe being more gravitated towards jumping spiders. Something that I was really shocked by just jumping into the tarantula world is it seemed very female dominant as well. Like there's lots of women Absolutely. in the tarantula hobby. I, I, I feel like more women are in the tarantula hobby than there are keeping reptiles. And, you know, there's more and more women keeping reptiles, which is awesome. But I was really shocked. Like if you had to guess between the two, if you had no prior knowledge, you would assume maybe that women would more gravitate towards reptiles than, than spiders. But it seems totally opposite. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I mean, numbers don't lie. I can see all the analytics from my sites. And uh, yeah, I, I would venture to say it's probably 60, 40 mm-hmm. for, for females to males in the hobby, which, uh, you know, I might might be old school thinking, but, you know, it came with a bit of a bit of a surprise to me as well. I don't know why, but uh, but yeah, it, there's definitely a lot of females in the hobby, which is great. I mean, it as long as everybody's doing the research and keeping things properly, it doesn't matter who's in it. But yeah, it's it's nice to see um, a, a fairly equal mix for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And then, so besides the spiders, do you have 
reptiles as well, or are you just solely focused on tarantulas now? No, I'm... Uh, I guess you had the crested geckos you had mentioned. Yeah, I've got uh, crested gecko, gargoyle geckos, um, bearded dragon, which is kind of my my first love in reptiles. Um, I've, I've always had a bearded dragon. They're absolutely fascinating for me. That's, that's my puppy. <laughs> um, I've got... Uh, Lots of different invertebrates, centipedes, scorpions, uh, whip scorpions. Um, basically, uh, when it, when it comes to invertebrates, anything I can showcase in the enclosures um, and, and I find interesting and new, that's kind of gets added to the collection. Um, and recently I got into snakes. My wife was deathly terrified of snakes for a long time, but uh, she ended up holding a boa at the, at the reptile expo in Calgary. And I was able to persuade her into letting me get a ball python. So now I've got two beautiful ball pythons, which I absolutely adore. Like they're the sweetest, sweetest pet, uh, you know, next to the bearded dragon. They're, they're right up there for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny yeah. the way people's innate fears, because it just to me, who's someone who would be more afraid of spiders than snakes. It's funny that somebody could live with, you know, 50 spiders, but then say, like, no, no, not the, I can't do the, the snake. And to me, it's just so opposite. But some people are really, really afraid of it's, snakes and they can tolerate the spiders. Again, I think it's two camps. Like, you know, from talking to people, especially at expos, um, it's people who, are, who love snakes tend to be, and I, mean, I could be wrong, but from my experience, people who love snakes tend to be scared of spiders and vice versa. It's, uh, it's kind of two camps, you know, if they, if they, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with the experience and knowledge throughout the years too. You know, if you had a bad experience as a kid with a spider, then you might be afraid of spiders. If you had a bad experience with a garter snake when you were a kid, then, uh, then, you know, that might be your, your phobia. But uh, for me personally, I was very uneducated with came to, when it came to snakes. My only experience with snakes was as a kid with uh, garter snakes and, uh, the musking turned me off. So mm. I thought all snakes musked. So as soon as I found out that ball pythons didn't, I was like, okay, let's check this out. And then, uh, you know, I mean, they're just such a docile species. They're absolutely awesome. I love them. Yeah. 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 Somehow lizards get off, uh, easy. No one's like deathly afraid of lizards, like either <laughs> no legs or eight legs. If you got four legs, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> We're all okay yeah. with you. It's funny. Yeah, absolutely. And you also have a YouTube channel and I know you're busy. You have your own business, uh, selling tarantula enclosures plus your own business, like you said, with plumbing. So you probably don't have a ton of time, but is, is the plan to focus on the YouTube channel a little bit over the year to, to continue to put yeah, content Yeah, I think there? Uh, it's been a super busy win uh, summer for me. Like I say, my son moved out and then we sold our house and downgraded a little bit. Um, so I actually posted a video the other day, just a quick rehouse video, um, just to kind of get back on, on into the swing of things. Over the winter, I'll probably do a lot more posting. I, I like to just, uh, um, for me, just showing how to properly, in my opinion, properly set up an enclosure and make, you know, your invertebrate as comfortable as possible is a bonus. There's lots of content out there. Um, but I, you know, I feel if I got any kind of voice at all, I can, I can share my experience and kind of guide people towards, uh, towards proper setup for a, for a tarantula for sure. So, um, over the winter, I hope to do a lot more content, um, it's the reception's been good and 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 I enjoy doing it. It's fun. I like interacting with people. The interaction's good. So yeah, I definitely planned to, to do more YouTube content, but it's it's tough to find the time to to balance everything for sure. 
Oh yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I think, yeah, it's probably the last on the list as far as things that uh, priority, but I think there's something really great as a consumer to be able to go to a YouTube channel and not only see the products being used, but the, you know, the, the owner of the business who you know, designed them, using them and showing people how to, you know, walk through setups and do rehousings with them. I think it's, it, it, to me, it, it was valuable because you get to see the enclosure right there on the screen that you have behind you. And, and, uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it's a really effective way to just connect with clients. So I think that would be awesome. Well, and that's what it is too. It's connection, right? You know, I find, um, people like to put a face and have a story behind a product. And, uh, you know, I am active in the community. I'm accessible. You know, you, you want to, you know, let's take a, you know, like any, I'm not pointing about specific, anything like an Exoterra or a ZooMed enclosure. You're not going to talk to the guy or, or have interactions with the company that makes that enclosure. It's, mm-hmm. it's out there. It's a product. You take it, you leave it, whatever. Um, you know, so to have, that uh, the means to have that connection with the consumer base to me is invaluable just to, to share experience. And, you know, like I say, the passion is there. It's, it's all about the passion. I'm, I'm not in this for the money by any means. I've got a, a successful plumbing business that I deal with daily. Um, it's, it's the passion and just, you know, for me, the joy of having people use my enclosures and see how people set them up. It, it's, it's awesome to me. So the, the connection and the, uh, the exchange of ideas and, and information is, is key for me. Yeah. And that's, you took the words out of my mouth. There's some, something so beautiful about a small business because it's way more nimble than a larger corporation where you can take feedback and immediately implement it and probably have a product on the shelf or a product to sell, let's say in five months or whatever the timeline might be, but compared to a large company could be like two years down the road by the time they go through all the R and D and find a supplier and all these things. So if you have a list of customers that say, Hey, we really think this would be valuable. You can quickly implement that. It's been super valuable to me. Like even from that first three by three by six enclosure to where it is now, um, the, the whole line is constantly evolving. Um, you know, the three inch cube, it, it, it's the, the new version that's coming out here. I'll, I'll be showcasing it at the uh, CRBE. Um, went from just a basic three inch cube with a few holes in the top. Um, now the, the new one coming out, the revised version after feedback from people, it has much smaller, uh, event holes for, for the jumping spider community. And, uh, they're now interlocking stackable, um, because people who have and keep slings, they tend to keep lots. And like I say, I downsize my place a little bit and I was like, okay, what are we going to do to kind of showcase these? And so now they're, uh, the, the new version coming out, they interlock and they stack. So that's all. I would never have thought of that if it didn't come uh, from from a, you know another breeder in Canada um, was their idea. And uh, so the, you know that's the other nice thing of having that connection with the community is that the lineup is constantly evolving. Yeah. Um, one of the enclosures I'm working on right now is is a breeder specific enclosure for jumping spiders. So uh, it, you know, and all that comes with feedback from the community. So it's been invaluable when it comes to uh, to design. Yeah, I love that. That That's really awesome. Well, Jeremy, this was a fascinating conversation. I have to thank you for sending me the two enclosures and helping me get set up properly for my Absolutely. first two spiders because, like I said, it, there's always some fear and it's been going well. You know, one went through molt. I thought it was dying because uh, <laughs> it stopped eating. I'm like, oh, I guess he's just dying now. I'm not good at this. And then he was on his back and 
uh, so I had a first successful molt in one of your enclosures. Awesome. So that was really cool. And uh, it's a fascinating hobby. I think we need things like this in Canada. As I said through the beginning, I think quite often Americans don't realize how limited we are here, even though we're right across the border. You know, it's, it's quite close. I can, we can both be in the States in just a couple of hours. It is yeah. still disconnected as far as these types of things. There's just not a big enough population to support some of these things. So to see somebody spearhead a project like this is incredible. And uh, I think it's it's going to just continue to grow. Can, can you let everybody know where they can find everything to do with the business yourself, the YouTube channel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, on Instagram, you can find us, primalfeartarantulas.ca. Um, uh, YouTube, same thing, primalfeartarantulas. Uh, you can go to the website, uh, it's either primalfeartarantulas.com or primalfeartarantulas.ca. Uh, both lead to the same site, but just uh, to cover our bases for people looking in Canada and people looking in the States. Um, yeah, uh, most so, you know, like I say, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. And, uh, you know, there's lots of user content tagged out there as well, where uh, other people have set up enclosures and they're sharing, sharing their setups. So there, there's lots of access for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And anybody who's going to be in Toronto for the CRBE, they'll have to come drop by your table and say hi. Yeah, I'm absolutely come say hi. I'm super excited about that show uh, just to kind of meet. Like I say, I've done the Calgary show a few times now um, to to kind of introduce myself and 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 get in the Eastern market and, and connect with those those uh, hobbyists is going to be fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, until then, Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show and we'll see you in September. Awesome. Thanks, Dylan. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was awesome meeting you back in June at the Winnipeg Reptile Expo. And again, I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in September at the Canadian Reptile Breeder Expo. Now, for those of you who are listening, who are also going to the Expo in Toronto in September, make sure you go say hi to Jeremy. I'm sure there's several of you listening right now. It would be awesome if we could send some of the Animals at Home listening crew over to just say hi because... I think that's just what makes this podcast special is we're really starting to accumulate like-minded folks, whether that's people who are on the show as guests or people who are listening to the show as consumers. We all kind of have that same mindset, and I, and I love the fact that we can connect with each other. So if you do see Jeremy's table and you're at that vendor, make sure you go say hi, let him know you heard him on the podcast, and go ask him questions and take a look at his product in person because it is quite beautiful. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it on social media, Facebook, or Instagram. If you're looking for more information on the podcast in general, you can head to www animalsathomenetwork.com. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash animalsathome or simply go check out the sponsor, Custom Reptile Habitats. You can find affiliate links in the show notes or the YouTube description. If you use that link and go to their website and make a purchase, a commission comes back to me at no extra cost to you. And of course, that's one way I pay the bills in this room, which continues to allow me to produce the show that everyone hopefully is enjoying. I will see you guys in the next episode.